0: This month marks the 143rd birthday of Harry Houdini. Houdini was born on March 24, 1874, as Eric Weiss in Budapest. But eventually, the legendary magician made his way to New York City, where he honed his craft of illusion and wowed audiences with death-defying acts and near-impossible stunts. I'm George Polarki, and this is Cityscape. On this week's show, we're tapping into the magic of Harry Houdini with a visit to the Houdini Museum of New York. It's located within the headquarters of Phantasma Magic, one of the world's leading manufacturers of magic tricks. The majority of the artifacts in the museum comes from the private collection of Phantasma Magic's CWO.
1: My name is Roger Dreyer. I am the CWO. That stands for Chief Wizard Officer of Phantasma Magic and the Houdini Museum of New York. Once you walk off the elevator
0: into this establishment, really it's amazing. I mean you don't expect
1: to walk into this museum coming into the building that you do. We're very fortunate uh, of the nice compliments we've gotten about our humble uh, mini-museum, but it actually home of the second largest collection of Houdiniana in the world and it's the only permanent display where people can actually see a lot of his secrets, pics, gimmicks, locks, tricks and ephemera that he actually used to promote his show. Now, this is your own personal collection here, right? I'm very fortunate that my grandfather got me into magic as a kid, and I've been collecting for over 40 years, and I'm 55, but I, I get paid to play, so I guess I can act young most of the time, creating toys under the Phantasma Magic brand. So how did your grandfather turn you on to magic? My grandfather, like many other New Yorkers, was a European immigrant, and he came from Poland and Russia, and he was brought up in the school of hard knocks on the Lower East Side of Manhattan. And when I told him someday that some kids from Long Island were cheating me on cards, he said, That's it. So when I went to visit him down in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, where in the 70s and 80s, that's what most people did, he took me into a magic store to buy a deck of magic marked cards. And right now, Phantasma Magic actually manufactures over a million and a half decks of marked cards a year. When did you establish Phantasma Magic? Phantasma Magic was established in 2001, and the Houdini Museum of New York has been open now for the last six years. So tell me about your product, because you have some things on display here. We're uh, very proud of that. Uh, Phantasma Magic, and this is our corporate headquarters for the toy company, behind the Houdini Museum. We are actually the world's largest manufacturer of magic sets that you can see in venues like... Toys R Us, Target, Walmart and some of the best independent retailers in the world. And what's great is we're trying to make the next Houdini with our magic sets and we've been told that the tricks inside our sets are actually the best out there where kids today which are a lot smarter than when we were younger are actually enjoying it even more so than just playing on the internet. And in the toy industry The games division, or where a magic sets fall under, is the highest growth in the toy world because parents are trying to get their kids away from the computers and phones and do something that's socially interactive, like magic. Have you ever performed as a professional magician yourself? I was very lucky. uh, After my grandfather got me into magic when I was 11, my father, who was a successful entrepreneur or businessman, Jack Trier, He says, okay, enough of having Grandfather buy the tricks. You're going to go ahead and start doing magic shows and be able to buy your own items. So I've been performing magic and still perform magic and comedy for the A-list of Manhattan and around the world. What's it like to wow an audience with your magic, to truly leave them amazed? The most important is to not only wow them but to entertain them and making a person smile is priceless. And having a person say, I don't care how you did the trick, I just enjoyed watching it. That's what a true professional magician is all about. What are among your favorite tricks to perform? Uh, Some of my favorite tricks are, let's say, the rabbit ringer, producing a rabbit, putting it inside a box, and next thing you know, you turn the handle, he comes out flat. But don't worry, you can produce him from a big, giant egg. So that's something that makes me smile, usually makes the audience and kids smile as well. You have a rabbit here, I think I saw. It's not just any rabbit. His name is Trixie, and Trixie has been held by the most famous of uh, Manhattanites. And we even had one A-list celebrity's daughter say, I'll trade you one of my dad's horses in exchange for the rabbit. And although I like horses, we had to respectfully decline. Let's talk about Harry Houdini, whose life really is all around us in this exhibit. We have several thousand individual pieces on display at the Houdini Museum of New York. And I got into Houdini because I respected him not only as being the number one vaudeville entertainer of his time in the early 1900s, the highest paid at his time, maybe four to $5,000 a week he was gaining back then, but because of the way he marketed himself. So I always learn a lot of the types of marketing skills that Houdini used to promote his show when we go ahead and do our Phantasma Magic Company what are among those marketing skills publicity stunts creating awareness like when we first opened up our place we had an escape artist come uh, performing some amazing uh, feats we had jugglers right on our balcony until we were told we have to disappear off of there for the safety sake of people below us but creating sensation will always bring you publicity And we've been very fortunate with the amount of press and publicity that the Houdini Museum has received because of the nature of how we approach it. Houdini came to the United States when he was a little kid from Budapest, right? Many people, including Houdini himself, said he was born in Appleton, Wisconsin, Oh, when in reality he really was from Budapest. And he went from Budapest to Appleton, Wisconsin when he was a few years old, and then he moved to New York City. And he first lived in the Upper East Side in the 60s, then the 70s, and then he bought a beautiful home, uh, I believe, on 113th Street, an amazing townhouse that, for many years, Houdini and his family uh, stayed there. When did Houdini get into magic himself? Houdini got into magic when he was approximately 9 years old when he saw a magician named Dr. Lin. He was so amazed by the show that one of the illusions, called Palogenisa, Houdini actually purchased from the Lin family after Dr. Lin died, and Houdini actually performed it. So
0: walk me around the museum here. Talk to me about the things you have on display. We're
1: very lucky that the things we have on display really captures Houdini's life from a child to when he was first getting started. Houdini actually got the name from a gentleman named Jacob Heyman, and they were known as the Hebrew Comedians. And Houdini and Jacob Heyman first started as the Brothers Houdini. They got the name Houdini from the magician Robert Houdin, and they added an I to the name of Houdin, and they became the Brothers Houdinis. And he met Jacob Heyman working at the Neckwear Tie Association, Richter's Tie Factory. What was and Harry Houdini's real name then? Harry Houdini's real name was Eric Weiss, W-E-I-S-Z, and then later on it was changed to Weiss, but uh, then later on it was changed to Harry Houdini, or Houdini liked to be known as Harry Handcuff Houdini. Handcuff because he used them in his acts. Exactly. So Houdini um, saw a magician when he was younger, and Houdini started off doing dime museums, and we have a lot of the different ephemera from when Houdini first started at dime museums or at the Coney Island or World's Fairs. And then Houdini then uh, decided to perform with his brother, Hardeen, Theo Hardeen. And then Houdini ended up performing for the rest of his life with his wife, uh, Beatrice Rayner. And Beatrice Houdini and Houdini remained uh, together. In fact, they were so in love that after Houdini died, Beatrice, um, staying true to her husband, always tried to contact him. Through various seances for at least 10 years after the fact that they met. And that tradition continues till this day, right? People get together and they still do seances to try to contact Houdini. Exactly. And the spooky part, when everyone's walking the Greenwich Village Parade having fun at 126 on Halloween at 1926, that's the exact moment that Harry Houdini died. And every year in Halloween, it's National Magic Week and that's when, throughout the country, a couple of different seances, and of course there's still an official seance that is occasionally held at the Houdini Museum of New York by invitation only. That's when things sometimes go bump in the night trying to bring back the magical Houdini. Unfortunately, although we've been trying since 1926, there's no exact evidence that Houdini did make an appearance, although some people might say, hmm, some things were a little bit weird that particular day. So what else do you have here? We have Houdini's uh, punishment jackets that he tried to get out of. We have Houdini's mailbag escapes. We have the famous metamorphosis trunk. This is the exact trunk that today magicians are still using in their act, although Houdini started doing this in the late 1800s. That's when the, uh, his wife would be placed inside a sack, placed inside a trunk, ropes are locked around the trunk. Houdini would go on top of the trunk, one, two, three, it's me. They would exchange places, pretty amazing. Uh, We also have Houdini's spiritualistic props that were used to try to bring back the spirits. In the Houdini show, he actually had three parts. One part was magic, one part was escapes, and one part was debunking the local spiritualists. So we have a large amount of spiritualistic props that are pretty cool. Why was it important to him to debunk the spiritualists? Houdini, after his mother died, was in complete depression. And like many people that lost a loved one, maybe during World War I or other periods, spiritualism was on a major, major in popularity and people seeking to contact the afterworld. Houdini was offering at that time $10,000, which is close to seven, eight $800,000 to anyone that could show proof that they could contact his mother. Many people tried, but no one was able to prove to Houdini that they were able to contact uh, his mother, or let alone anyone from the afterworld.
0: That being said, what do you think Houdini would think about people still trying to contact him?
1: I would respect that Houdini would think it's okay to try, but to actually fool people and letting him think that they actually did speak to Houdini when they didn't or Houdini always wanted to believe, Houdini's always thought, like we do here at Phantasma, anything is possible. We're not saying that you can't contact the afterworld, but we're saying we have actually seen no evidence of anyone being able to do that. I think Houdini would really take offense to some of the people that he sees on television that are capitalizing on the fact that they have certain magical psychic powers, when in reality, a bunch of tricksters.
0: Now, we all know that a magician never reveals his tricks, how he or she does them. But what do we know about how Houdini was able to pull off his illusions?
1: Everything here at the Houdini Museum of New York and Phantasma Magic shows how Houdini actually did do many of the escapes. We have his secret gimmicks, his secret picks, his secret devices, but we want to make it very clear that anything that we're showing of Houdini's Houdini himself actually revealed in several books and actually published in newspapers. Why? Because Houdini would reveal one method of how he did it. This way, it would stop a lot of the people copying his act, and he was indirectly exposing the others. And then Houdini adapted other ways of getting out of different escapes to take him to the next level. So what were among his methods for escaping Ah, you're going to have to come down to the Houdini Museum of New York to see those secrets. But it's a little bit of this, a little bit of that, or as a, a magician named Al would say, a fuller duel of the Isle of Malagula. <laughs> Walk me around a little bit more. Show me some of the other objects that you have here. One of the coolest things we have is a coffin that Houdini got out of in 1907, and it was actually done by the Boston Athletic Association. They're the people today that actually still... Conduct the Boston Marathon. We actually have Houdini's bust from his actual gravesite. After uh, before Houdini was uh, died, he actually posed to have a bronze sculpture made of him that he wanted placed on top of his gravesite. Houdini always knew that sooner or later his time would be up, and he was preparing his death for some time. So we were very fortunate. Um, once Houdini passed away in 1926 to 1976, a bust was up on his gravesite. Unfortunately, on Halloween, that bust was destroyed. A second one was placed up for many years. That bust was stolen, and that's the bust that was recovered by the Nassau County Police Department. And thanks to the Society of American Magicians, we have Houdini's bust on actual display. We also have the handcuff board that was used in the very famous movie. Houdini, starring Tony Curtis in 1953, and we have many of the cuffs that were actually used in that movie that actually did, in fact, belong to Houdini. We also have some of the rarest photographs, some of the rarest pictures, and we have lots of ephemera that belong to other great magicians, including that of David Copperfield, that of Penn and Teller, that of David Blaine, that we're here to show not just Houdini, but magicians, stars of today. How did you go about amassing this collection? I've been uh, very lucky by working for a magic shop when I was younger that was actually owned by Houdini. I would actually get paid a lot of magic. Instead of being paid a paycheck, I'd be paid in antique magic tricks, some of the rarest magic tricks. And I took those magic tricks and traded other magic collectors for Houdini. And I was very fortunate that we were also able to meet some of the family and relatives and assistants that Houdini worked with, and they were nice enough to either sell or donate their uh, Houdini items to our uh, museum. What's your favorite Houdini trick? My favorite Houdini trick maybe is not necessarily a Houdini trick, but it's one of the coolest things he has is the way he could convince a people around a seance table that everyone was holding on to the hand next to them, but in reality, through a magic special gimmick that you have to come here to see, Houdini would be able to free his hand and make ghosts appear. So how did Houdini recreate making ghosts appear? That's one of the coolest things that I loved. But we also know about the secret of what happened when Houdini was shot in the hand. You're going to have to come here and read about that to see what happened when Houdini was shot in the hand and the bullet stayed in his hand. We actually have the, that photo Houdini's caption and a letter written by his brother saying what actually happened to Houdini when that did occur. So I would say from producing Ghost to the episode and when he was shot in the hand. And if you ever saw the movie Prestige, that featured a water tank. Uh, In the Tony Curtis movie, that same water tank killed Houdini. In the Hugh Jackman movie, that's how he kept was uh, rejuvenated. But no, that was just a trick that Houdini created uh, to escape from to cause a major sensation. And we have one of the rarest, beautiful color lithographs from about 1912 that shows Houdini escaping, the green monster trying to kill him inside the water torture cell.
0: How did Houdini die? Because I understand there is some controversy over his
1: death. Uh, Houdini died of peritonitis and a ruptured appendix and Houdini was given an interview to some people after his performance. Uh, And this interview took place backstage at Miguel University. And yes, uh, someone uh, did punch Houdini in the stomach several times. Houdini uh, joined the Welsh Brothers Circus and he learned how to brace his stomach in order to withstand the blow. In fact, David Blaine on one of the TV specials actually recreated that phenomenal scene. And that, people say, caused further damage. And Houdini then died uh, a week later on Halloween after that punch. But some people say that he already had appendicitis, was already in effect. But the controversy in a phenomenal book written by William Kalush and Larry Sloman called Houdini, America's First Superhero, reveals the fact that Houdini might have been poisoned by the spiritualist. Houdini was ruining the career of many spiritualists, exposing them during his stage show, And many people say when Houdini was in that hospital in Detroit, an experimental drug was given to him, a second operation was needed to take place. There should never have been a second operation, there should have been an experimental drug. And what was that experimental drug? It got so far that some of the relatives of Houdini want to exhume his body to see if he was poisoned, and that whole effort uh, then was stopped.
0: Houdini had a great motto, right, one that I know that you often repeat.
1: We like to encourage people to become the next Houdini, and Houdini always said, my brain is the key that sets me free. So a lot of people say, how did Houdini do it? We always say, use your brain, use your common sense. When you're locked up inside a coffin or a packing box or you think life has no escapes, take a step back, think, and think the way Houdini would, and you'll be able to accomplish the impossible. If you
0: had an opportunity to talk with Houdini, what would you want to know? Great
1: question. I would like to know why was Houdini so intrigued about putting his life at risk? If he had so many loved ones in his family and so close to his family, why did he want to risk his life for the sake of entertainment? And yes, when Houdini would go down Niagara Falls uh, trying to get out during a movie shoot or trying to be put in the most incredibly difficult circumstances or go underwater or inside a tank or inside a milk can, Houdini did put his life at risk. So showbiz is great, tricks are great, but why, if you were so close with your mother and wife, would you want to risk yourself? Performers today, like David Blaine, Also following the Houdini footsteps so that I give uh, David Blaine tremendous credit as well as Penn and Teller when they do many of their different effects. Roger, thanks so much. Thank you.
0: Roger Dreyer is the founder of the Houdini Museum of New York and the CWO Chief Wizard Officer of Phantasma Magic. The Houdini Museum of New York is located within the headquarters of Phantasma Magic on the third floor of 421 7th Avenue in Manhattan. You can also visit them online at houdinimuseumny.com or phantasmamagic.com. Next on Cityscape, through the magic of the internet, we were able to locate one of Harry Houdini's living relatives, a guy by the name of George Hardine, who currently resides in Arizona. George never knew Harry Houdini. In fact, his connection to the famed magician was somewhat of a family secret until George was a preteen. So how
2: is George related to Harry Houdini? He is my grandfather's brother, which makes him my great uncle. And so he was my dad's Uncle. And when did you
0: find out that you were related to Harry Houdini?
2: I think I was about 10, 11, possibly 12. My dad didn't tell us as kids because he didn't want us running out into the street and telling all of our friends, hey, I'm related to Harry Houdini, because who's going to believe that? It was silly. And so my sister found a letter addressed to Harry Houdini Hardine, who was my dad, And so she asked, what's going on here, Dad? And that's when my dad told us that, in fact, Harry Houdini was our great uncle.
0: So your dad's middle name is Houdini?
2: Correct. He was named after his uncle, Harry Houdini.
0: So what went through your mind when you found out you were related to Harry Houdini and closely related to Harry Houdini?
2: Well, of course, it was a surprise as a kid Um, and there was a lot of excitement attached to it. But consider this was before the internet age, before there was a lot of communication. And so the only source of information for us was my dad and my mom. And uh, of course, as a kid, I read some books about Houdini, but then I pretty much forgot about it because my dad did not grant interviews. His experience with either book writers or reporters was that they made some mistakes and he was not happy with a lot of the information that had been published about Houdini that was erroneous. So that kind of rubbed off on my sister and me um, through our teen years. And we really didn't talk much about Houdini, but then later we did and we are, and now we're having a lot of fun with it. Every Halloween, which is the anniversary of Houdini's passing, I get emails, I get phone calls, and now I have a lot of fun with it. And so is my sister as well.
0: What questions started to form for you about Houdini as you got older that you wanted answered?
2: Well, I just wanted to know more about my family. And so I learned about it. There are some recent new books about Houdini which are really excellent. One by Bill Kalush, um, an academic biography by Ken Silverman. Um, And so this really provides lots of information that that I didn't have and that my dad didn't tell us about. Uh, People have done lots of academic research, and it's substantiated. So that's one nice way to find out, one nice way to see photographs of uh, relatives, my great-grandfather and my great-grandmother and my other great-uncles.
0: Now, your grandfather was also an escape artist, right? He worked with Harry Houdini.
2: Correct. Uh, that was um, Theo Hardine. He was Houdini's partner before Houdini got married to Bess Houdini. And so they were the Houdini brothers. And uh, my grandfather was a little younger than Houdini. And then the, he went off and and did his own magic acts. They created the myth that they were competitors. But of course, they were in collusion. This was all a way to attract more crowds and bigger crowds. And Houdini, I like to think, invented public relations. He would go to the local newspaper office and offer to hang upside down by their flagpole and escape from a straitjacket, which, of course, Drew a crowd, which, of course, the newspaper would cover, which, of course, would result in him selling out his shows in that town for that week. And then he'd move on to the next town and do the same thing. And my grandfather would do the same thing, and they would challenge each other from time to time. And that also would draw a lot of press and uh, draw crowds to their acts.
0: Did you have an opportunity to know your grandfather, or did he pass before you were born?
2: Yeah, he passed um, about— 11 years before I was born. But my sister knew him, and of course my mom did too. And uh, so I got stories from my mom about uh, my grandfather.
0: What have you learned about Harry Houdini and your family's history that has fascinated you the most?
2: Well, their work ethic and their search for knowledge. As my dad told me, it wasn't a trick that Houdini was great at escape and my grandfather as well. Houdini is the more famous of the two. It was hard work. It was study. It was research. It was a work ethic. And that is what brought them their success. They just worked hard at being the best, and they didn't want anybody to be better than them. And they stayed up with the technology of the day. They understood every lock and uh, how it could be picked, its weaknesses. And so that stuck with me, and um, it seems to be a family trade. I work hard at what I do. Um, I became a reporter, just like you, George, and uh, worked hard at it. And then I learned how to train horses, and I got good at that. And uh, in my current job, which happens to be public relations, I seem to be pretty successful at that, too.
0: Did magic and illusion stop with Harry Houdini and your granddad and your family, or did others pick up?
2: Yeah, no, it it did stop. My dad did not go into the family business. Um, He went on and got his law degree and worked in business. I went into journalism. My sisters, both of them, went into teaching. And so, yeah, magic stopped way back when with my grandfather, uh, who died in 1945. Houdini, of course, died in 1926. And so the myth ends there.
0: Have you tried your hand, though, at any tricks
2: over the years? Well, if you give me a $100 bill, George, I can make it disappear.
0: (laughs) That's a pretty good trick. The circumstances surrounding your great-uncle's death have been called into question. Some believe that he was poisoned because he spent a lot of time trying to debunk spiritualists throughout his career. He did
2: this during his acts. Do you share that belief? Not really. It's a great hypothesis, uh, but... I think he really did die of peritonitis after being punched uh, by a college student in Toronto. You know, the only way to to substantiate the poison myth would be to exhume Houdini, but really that that's not a, a viable option. Um, um, it was reported that I supported that, and actually no reporter asked me the straight question, do you support that? And I really couldn't at the time, and certainly my sisters wouldn't, and uh, any Houdini aficionado would not do that. So, so we have to go with what we know, and that is um, Houdini died from an infection resulting from peritonitis after being punched.
0: Have you visited your great-uncle where he's interred in Queens here in New York City?
2: I have not, but I will soon be uh, this summer when I go back east. I'm in Arizona right now.
0: George, anything you want to add that we haven't talked about when it comes to Harry Houdini and your family history?
2: That's about it, George. Um, Thank you, George.
0: George Hardine is a great nephew of Harry Houdini. You can learn more about the life and magic of his great uncle in the book The Secret Life of Houdini, The Making of America's First Superhero, or visit the aforementioned Houdini Museum of New York in Manhattan. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast. You know, some people still don't get podcasts, what's out there and how to listen. You can help change that with a click. Right now, think of someone you care about. What podcast would they really love? Got it? Now do it. Tell them about it in real life or on social media. And if they don't know about podcasts, show them how. Tell us what you recommend with the hashtag tripod, that's T-R-Y pod, and thanks for spreading the word. I'm George Bodarchy. My thanks to Cityscape producers Claire Drake and Zach Salas.